This is Jeremy Golden, that guy from Heaven and Hell Records. You're listening to KFMP Misery Point Radio. Wanderers to another bowel rupturing episode of the Misery Point Radio Show. As always, I am absolutely chuffed that you would fight your way through heaven and hell to join me here in the wasteland. I know it's a huge sacrifice, but I'd like to think it's almost worth it. After all, who else loves you long time and doesn't even charge you for it? I'm even good for a happy ending or two if you play your cards right. Eh, who am I kidding? Even if you don't play your cards right, we're both still going to be walking funny. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a fucking win-win. Am I right? Yeah, of course I'm right. Anyway, speaking of heaven and hell, today's guest literally represents that iconic duality. Joining me in the wasteland today is the founder, president, and CEO of Heaven and Hell Records, Mr. Jeremy Golden. And let me tell you, Jeremy and I had quite the epic conversation that resulted in a fountain of amazing anecdotes and badass information. So even though I kept you waiting for this episode for a bit longer than usual, you can rest assured that we more than made up for it with this interview. So consider this a bonus double episode. You're welcome. There is a pornocopia of mind-blowing insider information in here, including the origin of Heaven and Hell Records and how the company came to represent not only new and emerging artists, but also became the go-to source for amazing reissues of classic, forgotten, and underground relics of yesteryear. Additionally, Jeremy is an all-you-can-eat buffet of amazing stories, and he dishes the dirt on his experiences in the music biz, the acts that he's worked with, his thoughts on the state of the industry, and he even dropped a couple of surprise exclusive announcements revealed here first. And, of course, a special shout-out to my brother from another metal mother, Mr. Scott Pivarnik from False Prophet and SP Custom Guitars for facilitating this conversation you're about to hear. Love you, SP. So, grab yourself some chilled monkey brains, pound down those snake venom shooters, and prepare yourselves for this incoming mental enema. Check it. Hey, Jeremy. Welcome to Misery Point Radio. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited and honored to have you on the show. Hey there. Well, I'm not that exciting. (laughs) But uh, let's see where this goes. I don't know. I think there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. And we definitely have a few mutual friends in the business. So there's that. Now, I know you've done some interviews in the past. And the origin of Heaven and Hell is something you've talked about a few times. But I'd like to touch on it briefly, if that's okay. I know you're a collector of albums, especially the hard-to-find relics and stuff that got lost in the vault. And was it that love of those items and the fact that you just happened to have some friends in bands that needed a little extra help that led to you forming Heaven and Hell? Um, yeah, somewhat. Um, well, initially, you know, having the label, I just kind of fell into it by by chance. I I, I knew a few bands that were putting out releases and... Uh, and any band who has done stuff on their own, they, they know how it goes. You, you'll end up with a lot of stuff in your closet, <laughs> you know, and, and 30 years down the road, you still have those boxes in your closets. Um, and, uh, and then later on, when we started doing like reissuing stuff and digging up old stuff from years back, well, that, that was basically because I wanted it on disc myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's why I did it. I hell here recently. Well, excuse me, not recently, um, but our our hundredth release. I thought I'm gonna do something for myself, and uh, 
So we released this band called Cerebellum, the band I used to go see when I was a teenager back in like Chapel Hill. And, and um, yeah, it sold very badly. It still has, <laughs> but it was for me. I didn't care. Like $1,500 later, I finally have these demos on CD for myself. Yeah. And, um, so I guess I liked what I did. No, that's great. You know, a, a passion project that that turns into something else. I mean, I, I think we all kind of have those, I guess, dreams and aspirations, but you just kind of really went next level on that. And, uh, you know, so so you started Heaven and Hell really as a way to kind of fulfill just the things that you wanted, as well as to kind of just facilitate the fact that you knew people in the business who might have needed some help getting their their work put out. I mean, yeah, but, but, but understand it wasn't, it wasn't like a, like a, a a planned venture to go into this. It just kind of started happening organically, dude. I wanted to be a singer in a rock band. I I wanted hookers and cocaine and everything that went along with it. It's just, apparently that wasn't (laughs) happening. (laughs) And it's uh, not too late, brother. You can still have the hookers and cocaine. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. With the, this big bald spot in this beer gut, yep, it's gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say it grew organically, then kind of describe that. So I mean, one day you're sitting around on your couch thinking about hookers and cocaine, and somebody calls you up and says, "Hey, I've got an album I want to release. Do you know anybody?" I mean, how did the process like go from <laughs> go from thought to actual, you know, make this happen? Um. Yeah, well, you know, I, I always being in, kind of involved in the local scene and stuff and, and knowing a lot of bands. Um, matter of fact, a few years before I had started this, back in, uh, I guess it was my mid to later 20s, you know, I started kind of managing a band for a short while. And, um, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then I also tried my last band efforts and and I got aggravated with that and I said to hell with it. But I knew these other bands and like the local scene and, um, you know, and they, they were putting out albums. Well, it just so happened. It was right around the time. Um, I was kind of dabbling around with the mail order and, um, and I just had made a few connections and knew a few people at some distros. So, so I said to these bands, you know, I'm like, well, I know a few people. And at the time it was only a few people and, and they kind of had nothing to lose. So they were going to self-release this stuff. I came up with the name in the, in the night that was heaven and hell and got a logo made. We stamped it on the back of their releases and boom, that's where we went. Um, Dang. It was literally super fast from conception to actualization. Yeah. And um, like the the Reticence first album was the first thing we did, and uh, and that album's not it's not metal, it's not even rock. Um, it's um, how would I describe it? It's kind of like a cross of Nick Cave and Leonard Cohen, and um, and I mean I, I loved that material, and it was interesting when 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 Chris brought it to me, Chris Hathcock, which it's basically his baby. He writes all the music for the reticent and everything. Uh, when I told him what I thought of it, he said, that's funny. That's exactly what my music professor said. <laughs> and, and, and he wasn't even familiar with Nick Cave or Leonard Cohen at the time, but, but 
it, it definitely had that acoustic like singer songwriter thing going for it uh much like uh what was it opeth's maybe damnation album was that was that their acoustic one yeah that one that kind of deviated all together from their from their main concept but it was still really cool but if you were listening to it you wouldn't know that that was actually opeth and then and then there was his band hellraiser up in raleigh now that was straight up like kind of metal church except type metal and and uh, and then Pretorius. Now they they were like these young guys that would come out to all the shows to see the, I guess the bands you would say were the the older classmen around at the time, like Twisted Tower, Dyer, and Widow. And these dudes were you know trying to put out an album. And um, and so we said, well, what the hell? We'll do this too. And um, and so we did that. And and I love that stuff, man. Uh, I mean. It was weird seeing these young guys, you know, how new wave of British metal this album would would come out being, especially when you knew where they came from. You know, here was a band that was influenced by stuff like Chimera, how their album came out sounding like Saxon, I, who knows, but it did. It kind of had that same raw rawness of like a, a rare new wave of British metal seven inch, you know? Yeah. And, um, and a terrible album cover. <laughs> it, it's grown over me on me over the years, you know. Now it kind of has a charm to it, but but the first time I saw it, I was like, "It's a watercolor painting of a cowboy." What the hell are you guys thinking? <laughs> I have uh, <laughs> I have encountered many musicians and talked to many people over the last few years, and it's really funny when you ask them about early cover art. A lot of them have just atrocious cover art, not even in terms of the artwork itself being bad, but just the whole concept behind it having nothing to do with the band or the contents therein. Just just really weird, random shit. Oh, oh, certainly. Well, the the Pretorius album cover, it was it was actually supposed to be a little bit different um, than, than when it came out to be able to still have the cowboy on it. But what it was was the cowboy was actually shooting a zombie in the head, and the band decided against that because, if I remember it correctly, one of the members' dads had a friend who was just shot, oh shit, and killed. So they, you know, they decided '86 that part of it. Yeah, just bad timing. And um, but then after those three, you know, it's like okay. I have three releases. I have a label now. I guess I'm into this now. And then came about, um, I had licensed the first two Twisted Tower Dyer albums from those guys and reissued those. And when that when that came out, that opened up a lot of doors because this band already had kind of a, um, a name for themselves in Europe. So it definitely opened doors over there a little bit wider for me. And it also raised the bar uh, for a lot of the stuff we were doing, but well, I say a lot of stuff, but, you know, we had only done three previously <laughs> and, um, but, but no, the quality would have to get a lot better, the quality on the packaging, so forth. I mean, if you look at all the releases, you look back at those first three and they, they, they by far pill in comparison to what we do now. Why? Because the bands did them, you know, they just brought, basically brought it to me and said, here it is. And, um, yeah, well, it wouldn't be like that after we did those Twisted Tower Dyers. And because, um, you know, every, the, just the uh, 
um, our quality had just raised up, you know, and and then after that, you know, we had um, we 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 took on a few more bands, you know, um, and a more I guess newer, relatively like active bands, and they were all kind of struggles, I guess, getting the attention for those bands and. Well, I'll be straight up. Some of them proved to be douchebags. <laughs> we did this band from Jersey. And and these guys here, once the album came out, they did one show that I'm aware of after like six months after the release of the album. And that's the last I ever heard from these dudes. So they put all the effort into getting it done and then and then they put no effort into it after it's done. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, and this, I mean, it was weird because like they came to me, you know, they came to me with like cover artwork and I told, you know, I was, I just kind of was like, yeah, we could do better than that. So they wanted Travis Smith to do their cover art. So I got in touch with Travis Smith, got the cover art they wanted, everything. The album came out nicely, what have you. And, um. And then I even scored, I, I scored an interview in, uh, maybe it was a guitar world for, for their guitar player. And, uh, a guy who used to work for me was now working at guitar world. And, um, so he gave me this interview with him. Now I was trying to get the interview with Chris Hathcock from the Reticent, but they wouldn't do that because this band had more likes on Facebook than Chris did. Well, all right, whatever. So I get this guitar player, can't even remember his name now. I get him this interview, and what does this ungrateful bastard do? But he takes a pot shot at me in the interview. What? And I'm just like, really, dude? Well, that's gratitude for you. <laughs> uh. And 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 this was all over the fact that I had suggested to them very strongly to alter the title of the album. I don't know. It's just <laughs> whatever. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, here you are many moons now. And, and of course, Heaven and Hell is known for uh, doing, you know, original bands as well, or I should say current as well as reissues, which is, is really yeah. cool. And it kind of actually, when I think of the name Heaven and Hell, I'm sure that people probably think like it's strictly like a, a Sabbath reference or whatnot. But when I think of Heaven and Hell, I think of like, opposites right like alpha omega yin and yang you have metal and you have non-metal and you just have all of these opposing things that you bring together and that's kind of what i think of when i think of what heaven and hell stands for that was part of the idea i mean heaven and hell is certainly one of my favorite like sabbath albums i mean i have the angels tattooed on my arm no oh, sick you know um but but there were a few other things. There was the fact that under that banner, I could put a lot of different things under it. Um, the and and also, I went to college for religious studies, and you know, and I'm never going to use that in any other way. I I I tried to figure out ways I could bring it into here. You know, <laughs> I I don't know how. That sounds really odd, but somehow I would work it out. You know, yeah. I mean, maybe some somehow I'll learn or figure out a way to sell indulgences like the Catholic church did. I don't know, but I'll do something. <laughs> and, um, and, and so 
I mean, it worked, but the, that name catches a lot of people's attention. I mean, I, I've had so many bands go, wow, we, yeah, we definitely want to do this because we just love your name. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Um, but uh, but going back to the releases, so after the, the Twisted Tower Diner, doing those few other bands, uh, this band, which is Mark, we did from uh, – from texas and then did their second one you know i mean i i mean that dude said you know i was the first person to to call him up and that's why he did it and it was it, that was all good but but right after that's when i started doing the reissues and and digging up the old demos and and just albums that were shelved and all of that stuff and uh and i had fun with that stuff and that was Honestly, that was the kind of the stuff that paid for itself, the stuff that worked really well. Being that I was a collector myself, I knew other people that wanted stuff like that. And, and you know, when it started rolling, you know, and, um, and uh, you know, I think the first few bands I worked with weren't bands I necessarily knew from way back. Uh, that wasn't until we got the Blacksmith Project and and you know that that was kind of a, I guess a labor of love, if you will. Sure. I mean, because like you know, I had their their album like way back when I was a kid. It was one of the, um, you know, of course you had all the sanctuaries and, and Metallica's and Megadeths and metal church bands. You know, th this was stuff everyone knew of. Mm -hmm. But somehow, this blacksmith fire from within tape came into my possession. And it was like the first, like, like I guess, indie release I ever owned. You know, it was like, no one knows who this band is. This one is mine. You know, it's, and, and they were just so cool. And, um, and then years later, of course, I would look up the guitar player and, and fall into this. And, and the guitar, uh, guitar player was like, oh, yeah, we can do this. And, do you know there's an unreleased album? And I'm like, no, but let's do that too. <laughs> and, nice. and 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 what was trippy over to this is like we ended up getting a, this band back together and and I went to Europe with this band and I mean and it was all good. It's just just sadly when we came back from Europe, it just kind of all fell apart. Mm. They just couldn't keep it going. I mean that that day when we got off the plane and we were going to the parking lot to get in the vehicles and go our separate ways, it was much like that scene in Almost Famous when you see the guys at the end of the tour walking down the corridor and no one's talking to each other because everyone's pissed off. Because they all hate each That's other. That's yeah. <laughs> exactly what it was. And, and just like Cameron Crowe's character in that movie, there I was just extremely uncomfortable thinking – who am I going to crash with tonight before I get on a plane tomorrow and go home? Yeah. And, uh, and it is, but you know, but it was fun while it lasted. I mean, you know, it, it, what was interesting about that is like, you know, we get over there and we're playing this show or well, they are. And I, I just live vicariously through these people. And, and this band is on stage, you know, and they're playing all their old, like, 30 some year old material and they're having a hard time 
keeping it together. Oh, they sounded awesome, but but they keep watching this audience. This audience is full of the most diverse crowd of people. You know, you got Swedes and Polish and Germans and Americans and Koreans and Mexicans and Japanese, and they know the words to this band's songs. And they're and they're just looking at each other on stage like, how the hell was this? How possible? did this happen? Yeah. And I mean, and and it, it was neat and. And at the end of the set, you know, I'm, I'm backstage or side of the stage. And at the end of the set, the guitar player walks off stage and he's got tears streaming down his face. And he, he looks at me, he says, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever done with this band. And you made this happen. And I'm like, well, okay, let's go get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how did you respond? It's like, all right, yeah, dude. That's pretty epic I mean, though. I mean, but it was, I mean, it was so neat. I mean, another instance instance when we were over there we're walking through this field and where these vendors are set up and we walk over to this one vendor and he pulls out this book that's about two inches thick and 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 the guy can't speak english which is weird when a german can't speak english but whatever but he opens up a page of this book and he points out to where the band is in this book and the band members are looking at each other and and the guitar player says, why the hell have we never seen this stuff? And I just said, because it didn't exist when you were a band. I mean, but what the book was, was it was just the encyclopedia of U.S. metal bands. And, and we're not talking bands like Metallica and Megadeth. We're talking about those bands who put out one album on an indie label or 257 inches in their local area or whatever. Sure. I mean, that appreciation was over there. And, uh, and I don't know, it, it was just, it was needed. It, it, I mean, it's, it, it was kind of sad that it didn't last, but, but honestly, man, it doesn't last with most of these bands. And, yeah. um, but, uh, here, here's your recommendation. If you haven't seen this, uh, I think you can find it on the Tubi platform, a documentary called, um, I'm too old for this shit. And, um, but it's a documentary about this band, um, uh, Siren from uh, Florida, and it's just, it's it's exactly like this story of what I do with these bands. And my wife and I sat here and watched this. And as I'm watching it, she kept asking me, "Was it like this with Blacksmith?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, there's a lot of crying that goes on here because <laughs> those guys in that documentary, you can see that they're overwhelmed." this stuff too you know and but but one of these labels one of my peer labels they reissued their stuff this man got back together they took him to germany to play one of these fests matter of fact it just so happens that that fest uh that they were playing at keep it true the band cerebus we did they were actually playing that same year on that fest but i'm i don't know it's an amazing stuff i i just it, 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 I would love to know, it, to think that 30 to 40 years now, someone would give a shit about something I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really funny because, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat in the same situation as you, whereas I am, uh, and you and I are, are from basically the same generation. We're about the same age. So we grew up on, you know, the Headbangers Ball and, you know, we did the tape trading and kind of all that stuff. But uh, sure. I, I'm in a position now where, I mean, you're releasing material and I'm talking to those bands now that are that are re 
invigorated or, or facing a resurgence after all of this time. And I'm having these conversations with them about what it was like back then and, you know, what it's like now. So it's really kind of cool to, uh, to see, to see that in action. And, and I, I, I definitely have a very, uh, nostalgic taste for a lot of the, the old metal that is back and not even just metal. I like all kinds of music, but, uh, it is really cool. And a lot of times when these bands, when they make those comebacks and they play those shows, small shows, big shows, it doesn't matter. And as you were relaying, you know, you, you go see a, a band that hasn't played in over 20 years and, and they pack the place out, small venue or not, and people are singing the songs and you look at their faces and they're just, they're blown away by it. And being a part of that experience, I think is really awesome. And, uh, I definitely, I definitely love that. It's, it's my, probably my favorite thing that I get to do is, is relive some of those moments with, um, excuse me, with a lot of those people that I talk to. It is definitely pretty neat. I mean, you know, I got a, you know, various guys I've worked with from in whatever various bands and, and they talk it up and they stroke my ego a lot. And I definitely appreciate it because this gets very stressful at times Sure, and, uh, you know, and, and you get aggravated with a lot of these knuckleheads and a lot of them don't have the <laughs> appreciation that you would think or hope that they would. But, but some of these guys are like, man, it's like, you know, you're archiving this, that is just totally going to be forgotten. Like a lot of these bands, you know, they had been forgotten, you know, for the most part already, you know, and, um, and, and some of these bands, you know, they're getting to either relive something or, to do something a little bit more i mean the when when we were putting the blacksmith thing together my wife and i drove up to albany where they did a reunion show and we were staying at the guitar player's house and that night after the show you know he and i were sitting on his patio passing a bottle of jack back and forth and uh, and he said to me he said dude i'll tell you straight two weeks before you called me I was lying in my bed, looking at my ceiling fan, praying to any God that would listen to me that I have one last chance with this band. And then you called. And I'm like, you know, once again, it was another moment like, that's cool, man. Pass me the bottle. I mean, it's what else did you say? You know, I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I could have helped you with that. I mean, it, I mean, but then again, on the other hand, there are, are very sad things that happen. I mean, we did this band rolling uh, Attila Rolling Thunder from this band in New York, and um, and their bass player, <laughs> once again crying here. <laughs> the first conversation with him, this dude starts choking up on the phone, and he says, he says, man, I can't believe anybody wants to hear shit I did 35 years ago. And I'm like, well, they do, man. Let's do this. So as we were working on it, it sadly Vinny passed away a month before it came out. Oh man. And and the drummer called me up and his dad calls me up and they're like, You still need to do this. And I'm like, All right, it'll be here in a month, you know? And it came out and then his dad calls me back. He's like, My boy really did have fans and I'm like all over the world, you know? And um because he, he was watching all these people on Facebook, you know, sending their condolences and then talking about how much they liked this release. And, and um, I mean, that's not the only time that it happened. Unfortunately, we just did a, release this band called China White from North Carolina. And, 
and while it was in production the singer passed away you know damn the the one guy who he was the captain of the ship you know he was the one in all of the the various lineups and what have you it, it was basically his band he and it's just i don't know these dudes they don't have much time some of them yeah um but um yeah um I don't really know where to go. With <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, clearly, clearly, you're you're making an impact, and and the 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 passion that you have to kind of bring those those awesome relics from the past back to you know the modern times to breathe new life into them. It's definitely you know affected people's lives. So I think that's awesome. So now, is this when you're talking about doing reissues? Is this driven by you specifically? Like you say, I just really like this, and I want to make this happen. Or are people reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, I had this band 25 years ago. We had this following, and blah 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 blah." And then you make it happen that way. So, what's the normal process for this? It it happens in various ways. Um, sometimes it's stuff I pick up, and and sometimes it's things people contact me with and recommend um, you know to tell you the truth i mean a lot of the bands um i didn't know them previously you know i mean when we did the blacksmith i you know i didn't know that one um the the china white band that we just did from north carolina now i knew of them um but be, being from North Carolina, they they kind of stopped playing and went away, you know, a few years before I was old enough to start going out to clubs and so forth. So I knew of them. I just didn't necessarily know them. I mean, when we, you know, did The Prophet, you know, I mean, it, yeah, that was stuff I went to see when I was a kid. But but bands like uh, the, the Court Jester, say, from Maryland, I, I, I had no idea who they were. So, so a lot of that stuff's here, you know, just recent finds and so forth. Um, you know, we reissued this band Eviction that was on Metal Blade. No, I did know them. I did have their album. And, uh, but so it, it just happens like various ways, I guess. Um, my, um, my partner, you know, he finds a lot of them too. Uh, I, we do have one niche over our peers right now, at least from what I'm noticing, is that we're pulling out a lot of stuff or finding a lot of stuff that there's absolutely no trace of. I mean, meaning there's no trace online, no mention of these bands' names or whatever. So so a lot of our audience is like, where the hell did this band come from? There's no word of them on Discogs or Metal Archives, you know, and... And I like having that that little little step up on a lot of our peers, you know, and um, and I think people have come to expect that from us because, you know, we we bring out something totally new to them, yeah. And um, and so that's happened a lot, you know. I mean, Gary he would just find a lot of stuff in pawn shops or record shows or or record stores buying collections from people he'll find us some indie release he'll toss it to me and it's like what do you think of this and i'm like well it's good enough that's uh gary schaefer you're referring to right yes yeah 
Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I, I and uh, it's funny you mentioned you kind of threw profit in there. Uh, I want to give a, a quick props, of course, to uh, my good buddy, Mr. Scott Pavarnik, for introducing uh, you and I and kind of setting this in motion, which is awesome. Um, the first time that I had heard about Heaven and Hell was I had actually bought the Second Death reissue that you did, um, and I had listened to False Prophet when I was a kid and uh, had subsequently lost a lot of my you know, material over the years, tapes got traded, stolen, CDs traded, stolen, lost, you know, just whatever. And I was like, oh, uh, shit. And I had connected with Scott and he had uh, joined Profit. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I was getting back into these guys. And then, you know, I, I had a conversation with Paul Ray and uh, about basically about you re-releasing this. And I just thought it was super cool that, you know, all of a sudden and now they're active again and everything. And so I was I was super stoked about that. How did that uh, that relationship begin with with getting uh, False Prophet on Heaven and Hell? Yeah, False Prophet has been one of my success stories. <laughs> oh, they're fucking amazing. Um, the um, well, you know when 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 I started going out to clubs and stuff when I was like what fifteen. So that, this is early nineties. Now, False Prophet was one of those bands I saw several times. You know. And I really did appreciate the North Carolina scene at that time. And, and, you know, I mean, I was seeing metal bands. I was seeing hardcore bands and funk bands and all kinds of stuff, you know. And, um, and you know, so when I started working with a lot of North Carolina bands, relatively new bands, blah, 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 blah. And when I started doing the reissues, I started looking into North Carolina bands. And False Prophet kept being brought up to me which they were already on my mind. Right. Um, you know, I still had the demos here. They, they were, they happened to be some of the only demos I was able to hang on to over the years, amazingly. And um, and then I remember it was also suggested to another label, uh, won't mention names there, but I, but I did call up their head and say, yeah, you don't get this one. this one is mine you know because i was like dude you're not even from north carolina you're an outsider (laughs) and um so so it was very personal you know and um and and you know and as much as i had seen the the these guys live way back then i didn't really know them per se right um and then our designer who did all the layout work you know in there um he did know them and so he wanted to do the layout because it was, again, personal to him to be involved with this. And that's actually how we kind of came together, too. Um, now, the designer, I had known him through other ways. So I got in touch with uh, Mike first, and Mike was basically the one I was dealing with. Mike Morrison? Yes, yes. Yeah. And um and, and I talked to, to to Paul a few times through it, and then when you know, and then when Mike you know went AWOL or or kind of was given his walking papers or whatever the hell happened in there, then you know I continued talking to to, to Paul through this. Um, so that's kind of how it all came together. I mean, it just they just sent me the the material. We I mean Jamie King you know did all the remastering. Of course, once again, it was it was kind of like it was kind of like a family effort, you know, because Chris, you know, knew these guys, grew up with them. He's from the same town and area, 
you know, you know, Jamie knew all these guys. He's obviously down there too. So that's, I don't know. It just came together nicely. Yeah, definitely looks that way. And now I think it's a perfect time to take a quick break and check out a classic tune from our brothers in False Prophet off of the Heaven and Hell reissue of Prophet's 1991 demo, Second Death. Here's a killer old school track that still happens to be one of my favorites called Holy Deception. Oh, 
And coincidentally, and, you knew Scott uh, a long time before he was even part of that equation. I, I did. I did. Um, that that was really weird, too, because Scott just kind of popped up in Vols Profit. I, I didn't even I wasn't even thinking of, you know, OK, let me go back. I knew <laughs> Scott when like when we were much younger, like 14 to 16, somewhere in that period. And he came from like a couple of towns over. And you would only see this guy like show up every now and then, you know, um, you know, when I don't know, various groups would end up at the same heavy metal vomit party or what the fuck ever or at the <laughs> mall. Does this guy ever come in? And, but yeah, so I, I didn't know if Scott was still playing or what had happened. And then one day I find out, oh, he's in false profit. I'm like, oh, that guy. <laughs> But, but the thing was, we didn't know each other like that well, you sure. know, way back when. We we just would kind of cross paths at times or or knew some of the same people. I mean, it wasn't even within a music scene at that time. It was just all fringe people that hung out around in the, the area. And, um, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of how that rolled and. And I think False Prophet was like is like his first band. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it was awesome. It's uh, yeah. he went from uh, just kind of being your your you know regular old Joe like uh, like myself or whatever, just kind of playing guitar and shredding it up, and then 
gets an opportunity and he, now he's in profit and doing some cool shit and jamming with awesome people and building badass guitars and just uh, helping share music with the world. So uh, props to you, SP. And of course, Paul and Craig and their killer new drummer, Weston, they're really good friends. And I just love those guys to death. And speaking of which, you know, so Paul also introduced me to another band that you just uh, released, which is Of Dying Dreams. And um, I'm a huge fan of this band and uh, I had never heard of them. And they're just so all over the place with the styles that they mash together. Um, I mean, it's just like on one hand, it's got this obituary meets creator vibe. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, hey, look, that sounds like Sanctuary. You know, um, it's just so just random, but it's I, I can't stop listening to it. It's it's really cool. So, um, I, you know, I'm a big a big fan of, uh, of just that style and that that time that era for me of of when that stuff was really first getting going i'm i'm very partial to to the to that time frame when i mentioned chris who did the layout and the second death reissue that that's like he's the death singer in of dying dreams and the keyboard player oh okay and uh, so, so they they were like from the same town. Sadly, my of dying dreams didn't get really out of Greensboro. They just they just kind of played the same place all the sure. time. And um, but but the interesting thing I always thought about of dying dreams was if you if you look at the time period of where you know, I mean we we were already kind of getting over that little that small little hump you know when they showed some death metal videos on MTV. Mm -hmm. And so, but Swedish death metal hadn't really made its way over here yet. And, and so of dying dreams, here was this band that was, you know, they're coming from a school of like, you know, creator and death and King diamond fans and all of this. And, and they're kind of melding this, but in my mind, I thought that stuff was like a U.S. version of what amorphous would be. Oh. It's just that stuff hadn't gotten over here yet, and so there was no way that that was really influencing of dying dreams. It was just what was going on was those bands over in Sweden were listening to the same stuff that these guys over here were. Sure. So it was just kind of inevitable that they would get similar sounds. Yeah, and you know, with the with the tape trading, that that was kind of part of the fun was you'd send tapes back and forth overseas and be part of you know, mail order clubs and this and that. So you sure you were, you were hearing stuff from over there and they were hearing stuff from over here. And that oh, sure. was at the origin of kind of really when metal started going the extreme route. I don't know if that, that per se was what was so much going on with the cats from of dying dreams. But, but I do know all these guys were, you know, all the stuff that was accessible, like the creators and, and, and King diamonds and, and stuff of that yeah. nature. All those guys were listening to that stuff, and and you know this this takes me back to kind of a thing I think I alluded to earlier about North Carolina. North Carolina has some things to offer that, for some reason, just didn't get the attention that that it deserved to have gotten. I mean, you you, you think about it. I was like, Confessor comes out of North Carolina. That is one of the most unique Dune bands ever. False Prophet offered were you know not saying that they were as technical as atheist or pestilence but in a way it was kind of a little bit progressive Mm -hmm. you know their songs were longer and drawn out it wasn't 
a simple comparison is morbid angel, but it wasn't morbid angel. It was a step beyond that. Of dying dreams had this thing to be offered that I didn't hear anywhere else, at least at the time. I mean, when I started hearing like stuff coming out of Sweden, of course, I was I was hearing stuff similar to that, but I didn't know anything else over here. Yeah, yeah, it's uh definitely it's it's a unique listen. There's there's no two ways about it. Oh, 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 for sure. And uh, I just, <laughs> it would have been neat to see, to have seen more come out of it. And I mean, um, before, before of Dying Dreams, you know, there was this band Perpetual Iniquity and that kind of evolved into it. And now I do remember having their demo of, Di- of Dying Dreams. It, it would take me a little bit more because my, my life at the time when they were playing it, playing their club, you know, kind of took me in a little other directions. Um, I do remember them and I think I stumbled into them every once in a while, but, but it would be kind of a few years later until I would come back to them. And obviously years after that, until I would put that stuff out properly. Sure. Now with, uh, with a lot of your, with a lot of your reissues that you do, then you, you kind of mentioned name, which is a uh, Mr. Jamie King, um, who happens to, I don't know how this relationship started, but he does a lot of remasters for a lot of the reissues. Is, is there some kind of an official partnership between you guys or how does this work? Oh, a King. Um, oh my gosh. How did it start? I think it started because, you know, he was doing stuff for, you know, Matt Rosinski that runs Tribunal Dive Bomb Records. Right. And so that's kind of how it started through there. And then, and, um, and he did the first couple of things for me that whatever the first couple he <laughs> worked on was. And, and it's just been kind of that way ever since. I mean, he loves that stuff. Just here recently, um, I text him and I say, okay, did you get that, uh, that uh, demon axe audio? And um, he's like, yeah. And I said, I said from Frank Arresti. And he said, yeah. And, um, and then I text him back. I said, that's Frank Arresti from fate's warning. And then Jamie replies, he said, wow, I was just typing you a text to ask you if that was him. I'm a huge <laughs> fate's warning. Yeah. I didn't. And then he comes back with another text right after that going, dude, thank you for letting me do this. I <laughs> love doing this stuff for you. Yeah. So it's, so you basically, you, you say, Hey Jamie, I got this, I got this new, uh, this new project that we're going to release. Do you want to do the audio? And he just says, fuck. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, he just, <laughs> I just take it for granted. It's going to Jamie. I mean, sometimes we do use other guys or what have you on stuff, but, sure. but most of it goes to Jamie and, and he's, he's done some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, um, some of it, it's, you know, it's going to be the best it's going to be. Some of it he's, I've seen him do some amazing stuff. I mean, it's, um, we, um, going back to the blacksmith project they put out an ep in 1984 this was this was released before the album i knew them all i only found out about the ep through a bootleg from germany well the only source we had for two of that material was that bootleg cd and um they had sourced it from vinyl the vinyl was cleaned up pretty decently 
but Jamie cleaned it up a little bit more. Well, when Jamie sends it back to me, there's one of the tracks where you hear the singer drop the mic and the mic thumps the floor. And then you hear the singer say, I fucking did it. And then you just hear her walk off. And I, I emailed Jamie. I said, dude, that's, that's awesome. I've never heard that in that recording before. And he said, well, it was there. And he said, do you want me to take that out? And I'm like, hell no, I do not want you to remove that because that is that woman's attitude right there. I mean, it was just beautiful, you know, but, but it amazed me that he was able to pull that out. So years later, I would be talking to the singer and she's, she said to me, she said, wow, I totally forgot that was there until you guys pulled it out of the recording. And then she explains to me the whole story of how it came about that day because the guitar player had pissed her off in the studio or something. And, and I don't know. It, it was just neat. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the fact that uh, that he's able to get in there and, and find those those little hidden treasures. You know, for a, for a while, I was uh, writing for Metal Temple. I was doing reviews for Metal Temple, and mm-hmm. I kept getting mm-hmm. um, sent files. And I was like, "Oh, it's a Heaven and Hell release. It's a Heaven and Hell release." And subsequently, it would be like, "Oh yeah," and Jamie King worked on the audio, and, and it was funny. And in fact, the two that I remember off the top of my head was uh guy man dude's manic distortion uh reissue and then i think sorcerer was the other one um and uh i think beyond the crypt i want to say um and yeah. which which i was a huge fan of of that that uh not so much on the guy man dude unfortunately but the <laughs> but the sorcerer uh i just thought i was like oh this is so good and i just kept seeing stuff popping through you know going through our files i was like man, heaven and hell, Jamie King, heaven and hell, Jamie King, heaven and hell, Jamie King. And, you know, Jamie was on the show a while ago. So I, I had a, a great conversation with him and he's just a hell of a, a hell of a dude and super talented. Oh, did and, any of this come up? Uh, no, this, this is, uh, this is oh. came, all stuff came up after I had had my conversation oh, with see. him. So, but um, yeah, it was just kind of funny that, you know, I just, uh, I, I, I love the fact that there's clearly a, a partnership that is working uh, with you guys kind of being fans of, of some of the material and, and stuff like that. I, I just think that it's really cool and it's very unique that there's a, a symbiosis there that is, is very unique, I think in this industry. Oh, definitely. When I was in North Carolina, I, I did like the fact that um, of dealing and working with people like locally. So, so that helped, you know, with Jamie there and, and it was, kind of like jamie knew like the north carolina bands i worked with jamie knew a lot of those bands you know previously and and what have you so it all kind of worked out that way and um and i don't know it it was just kind of it was just kind of neat how it turned out i mean um yeah i mean everybody all these guys they they help make this what this is i mean and um and I, I couldn't ask for better people to kind of deal with. I mean, Jamie makes it sound good. Chris makes it look good. You know, the, the, the various artists. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, me, I just deal with putting this together and I deal with all the knuckleheads I have to talk to. You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, some of them are easier to deal with than others. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, and it, it works out. And then, you know, and then we're working with Gary now. 
he's basically the guy who takes care of getting it out, you know, and um, I mean, hell, most of this stuff, he doesn't even know what's coming out until I, I send it to him. Here you go. Um, Make it happen. Yeah, pretty much. I think um, when I think of of the other thing that that really kind of sets you apart, in addition to the fact that you're working with material that may not be familiar to, you know, the world at large, is that when you're doing these reissues, um, and I don't know if it's the same way when you're working with, you know, current bands and stuff like that, but you put a lot of time and effort into making a whole fucking package out of this right i mean the liner oh, notes are epic the artwork is awesome the i mean there's yeah. story the of dying dreams package itself i mean like there's the interview right up the front tells the story of the band and you know just a, a killer looking presentation and you guys kind of go above and beyond um really with i think adding in those little bit of extra pieces of awesomeness um that that maybe give you like you're you're getting something old but you're making it new again and i i just think that's that's super badass oh uh, well thanks i i mean well you kind of have to for one because it was it's so difficult to to sell hard copy media to begin yeah with. right plus we're going to an audience of collectors and i wanted everything to be seen the way that i i would want it i mean uh rock candy over and out of the UK, you know, they do all these bigger catalog reissues, Montrose, Doc and Angel, mm. Max Webster, what have you. But all of their stuff would have like interviews and photos in it. They, they typically wouldn't have lyrics in it. But I buy all of these things, you know, and, and that's how I wanted to see mine. It, the weird thing is with, with some of these bands, though, they don't have the story of a 40 year old band, you know, that's had put out a bunch of albums on Warner brothers, you know, um, that Sammy Hagar fronted, you know? Sure. Um, so, so it's, it, it, sometimes it's really hard to, to put all these things together and, and stretch all these things. Um, but hey, yeah, I mean, it works. It's a, some, some are a little bit lackluster in comparison to others, but you know, um, but to, also to me, like they're, I love the I love the stories of these bands, and and some of the stories they can share with me because you have to think some of these dudes are, were just circuit players. They didn't get you know very big, but the, some of the stories they can tell you about the bigger national acts they played with are are they're just fucking priceless stories, yeah. <laughs> you know, stories that you'll never hear Metallica tell you. Because Metallica will never tell you about how, you know, what prima donnas they were when they played their first show on Long Island and the band that opened for them and how they bitched and moaned and wouldn't go on stage until the band like gave them their part of their flash pots. And then one of them almost went off and blew Cliff up. Metallica is not telling you that story. Right. But, but some of these circuit bands that played these gigs, they have nothing to lose at this point. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's what it was, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, I don't know. And, and I just wanted it out there. I wanted, I wanted to share this stuff. They're just, they're just neat stories. I mean, we did this, this desire band and in the liners, there's this whole story about how when they moved to California from Cleveland, you know, about the the corrupt police department that was in the city and how the um, 
they ended up losing all their equipment, most of their albums, all their original recordings due to this corrupt police station that was impounding people's cars. And the guitar player tells me, he said, he said, the worst thing of it all, I even lost my mom's ashes. Oh, fuck. And, and, and the, I mean, the, just these stories are just, I mean, they're just kind of neat, you know? And, um, but, um, but, but going back to, to this packaging, I mean, again, everybody here kind of brings it together. You know, I typically come up, if we don't use original artwork and, you know, we'll do kind of a play on maybe their demo covers if they had them, um, you know, or we'll use the original artwork. If there was no artwork, then we'll start coming up with concepts. Um, I'm usually, I guess, the art director in this. Sometimes my artist throws me ideas. Chris, the designer, sometimes has ideas. But for the most part, they're usually mine. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I'll talk to the band, get a few things here or there, what have you. And um, and then that gets put together. Um you know, then Chris, you know, when he starts on the layout, like all of his layouts basically have themes to them as well. I mean, he did all the Dying Dreams one and the, the False Prophet one. You, you've probably seen both of those. Indeed, I have. To, tell, to be honest, I don't think that those are definitely not his best work. <laughs> um, I mean, my favorite work that I see, I have seen from him, like, for instance, we did this band, um, this doom band from uh, Maryland called Chained Lace. And uh, when we had the artwork done, it was kind of a play on an old EC, like, Tales from the Crypt type book. And, um, and so, so what Chris did with the inlay is he just made that whole inlay look like a Tales from the Crypt comic. The All same rad. exact f lettering fonts, what have you. And and he he just can roll with this type of design. And and now not everything will lend itself to that. Oh, he, here's a beautiful one. Oh, I'll take you back to childhood. Come with me. <laughs> so <laughs> we did this band, Attila you know, rolling thunder. And, um, do you, do you remember three inch GI Joe figures from the eighties? Uh, yeah, of course I do. Okay. You remember what the cards look like? You would have the characters with the explosions. Yeah. All right. Well, in the inlay, the inlay of the booklet. Okay. First of all, the cover had this like truck with this missile on it. Very like Reagan's America. Everything was about missiles and shit. But um, but I, I, I was looking at that cover and I thought I used to have a G.I. Joe toy that looked like that. So this in, inspires the whole idea. So the whole inlay of the pages, they look like military files laying there. And then the band pictures all have that type of explosion behind them, like on the G.I. Joe cards. Like on the cards, yeah. Well, on the back of the G.I. Joe figures, there were file cards you could cut out, right, that had all the character stats. Well, on each one of those panels that show the band, we have that card underneath it with all of their stats and so forth. Oh, that's cool. So it's, it's like this whole theme running through it. And, you know, and, and when we, when we, you know, when we uh, put them up for retail, the, our first hundred pre-orders came with military dog tags, you know, 
and had the band's logo on it. And, and then we cut this promo video that you can see online. Um, and all of this kind of fit together in this whole concept and, and story. The band actually had a story in the, um, in the original album about this fictional character called the Thermal Nuclear Warrior. Well, it was only three paragraphs long. I added a few paragraphs to that, basically ripping off the Thundar of the Barbarian <laughs> opening. <laughs> but, but I expanded this whole story of this character. And um, so, so again, it's all coming together in this total heavy metal cheese, right? And, um, and I told the, the guitar player, I said, I thought it was all cheesy. He got kind of upset because I guess he takes his heavy metal seriously. <laughs> but I'm like, whatever, dude, man, war is total cheese. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the video, though, the promo video we had cut for this, the first time I had someone do this, they had used all this footage from like Japan of either Nagasaki or Hiroshima. And I said, dude, we can't do that, man. I have a lot of people in Japan that take our titles and stuff. All these people have grown balls, you know, mm -hmm. we, I just don't want to use that. Yeah. And so I gave them this other footage that was this nuclear testing thing that went down, I don't know, in the 40s or 50s out in New Mexico or whatever, where they would drop bombs and they would have soldiers jump up out of these trenches and run into the bombs or into the nuclear fallout rather. And, and this was the way that our government was testing the aftermath, you know, testing the effects it had on these soldiers. And, and this is real. <laughs> this is what our government does. But, but I took this footage and I sent it to this guy and he makes this video. And I'm like, oh, that footage and that video, it adds to the narrative of this thermonuclear warrior fictional character. I have just put together the origin of the Incredible Hulk. And, and I did all this for this CD reissue. I mean, it's one of our prouder ones. But I mean, but without Chris's work, oh, I, my idea would not have come together. Um, and it is, it's just neat. And I mean, he did the same thing with this Jack the Ripper band we did. I mean, a lot of thought goes into this. Yeah. When we did this band, Jack the Ripper. Their album had been shelved since like 1980 or 1981, and um, and it's just never come out. Well, when we did this, put this album out, I was like, Jack the Ripper, need a cover concept. So I thought of this novel called Jack the Ripper, My Lighthearted Friend. In this novel, it um, proposes the theory that Lewis Carroll was the Ripper. Well. So, okay, we have this theory. We're going to base this cover on this book. So the cover has like, you know, Jack the Ripper, Victorian imagery, and Alice in Wonderland imagery. And so when Chris does the layout, he did the whole layout to look like this, like, English Victorian newspaper. <laughs> and, you know, with a little blood splattered here and there, because, sure. of course, you know. <laughs> and, um, but, but then he goes... He goes and he starts doing research on like, okay, Victorian England, what, what was the name of their newspapers back then? Was it called the Post or this or that? You know, again, research here <laughs> goes into what we do. It's not just 
putting out a band's album and and so forth i mean it, it, we're we're all putting something into this yeah absolutely it's uh it, and it's apparent and it, it's cool and uh you know i i got sent some some promo stuff and i'm just like wow you guys really um really look look like you're you're not not you don't just look like it but you are genuinely taking this seriously you're making every effort to make this just the best representation it can possibly be and the fact that you know you're theming the artwork and you're you're doing the research and you're just taking it leaps and bounds past what any other company you'd be doing i i just think it's epic i think it does the band's justice and i think it it just is one more layer of adding adding new life into this stuff i i, just, I think it's amazing oh thanks i mean a lot of these bands though a lot some of the bands they don't understand or get what we're doing at sure. times um we did this band um killer con from north carolina now they were from the mountains of north carolina and they had a they put out an album called kill devil hills well, Kill Devil Hills is on the, the coast, right? And their album cover was just terrible. And I decided not to use that and get a, a new cover. But I went through this whole thing of looking up Kill Devil Hills, the history of the name, so forth, so on. And, you know, and so now I'm going to come up with a cover based around pirates and moving rum and hiding right behind the dunes and all this stuff. So I'm explaining this to the front man of the band, and he's just totally lost in what I'm explaining to him. And I'm just like, just listen. So if you do get interviewed on this and someone does ask you, now you can explain it and you'll look like you're smart. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's just, I, I don't know, man. I mean. You know, if you're going to call your album Kill Devil Hills, you're going to have to know something about this. And then you're from Western North Carolina. You're not even near the coast. And and then there's a song on the album that's about Texas. You know, it's like, this is very confusing. Um, but um, I don't know. It's it's fun. I, I get, I, I am often impressed by it. I don't make it happen. These other dudes make it happen. Chris does it. I give it all credit to him. I don't know. <laughs> Is that Chris Ferguson, by the way? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he he makes it he makes it look good. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'll find when we got this band Arcana coming out from like um, Boston. It's it's taken about five six years to finally get this moving, and it's finally now being pressed. And um, and. Uh, so I'm looking quite forward to that one. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> um, yeah, that one I stumbled on. I was just looking for bands up in the Boston area when I happened to be up there. And um, sometimes Gary brings them to me. We did the band Christella years ago. Gary, a friend of his, found their self-release tape at a yard sale for a quarter. <laughs> and and he gets it from his buddy, and and he brings this up to me, and I'm like, yeah, this is not bad. So I call them up, and I call the guitar player up. The guitar player's sitting on the beach at Myrtle Beach. He he said when I called him and he answered, he said he actually had to look me up right then because he honestly thought it was his friends fucking with him. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then he's like, whoa, this is for real. 
And um, so he, it, what had happened there is their album was basically shelved. You know, they were a melodic rock band. They, you know, they they got scouted a lot. You know, they went to the desk of Atlantic and all these other places. But everybody told them, you know, you missed the boat. It set sail yesterday. So their stuff was just shelved forever. So they get in touch with their old, like, engineer. He pulls it out. He starts to remaster it. He's like, I knew this would, something would happen with this one day. And we did this thing. And it did really well in Japan. And then their local news over here, they dug this whole story of this band. So so they had the singer and the guitar player come on to their morning news and, you know, do a couple of songs and stuff. And and so now, a few years past this, they have here in Pennsylvania this, like, kind of their own, like, rock and roll Hall of Fame thing here. And they have these big induction ceremonies. I think live was put in there this past year and whatever. Well, they were just nominated. And I think they get inducted into this next year. Crazy. And they're just like, this wouldn't have happened if you guys didn't do this. I'm like, okay, well, cool. Where's my beer? I have to get a monkey suit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I don't know. Um, But then again, there's another, a whole nother side of bands I talked to who they're really weird about things or they either tell me I'm trying to scam them or whatever. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that happens too. Well, I mean, they can't all be cool people to deal with. I mean, I'm a musician myself, or I call myself that, and I've been around musicians all my life and artists, and uh, some are eccentric, some are just downright bizarre, Um, some are Mm -hmm. completely just paranoid of everything, and yeah, you're out to rip me off, you're trying to take me for everything I have, and um, yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that there's probably plenty of people out there that think you're just out to uh, take them for a ride. But the the thing is, let's be honest here. I mean, I might like this stuff. But when you're just one of a million bands that made an EP that sounds like Dokken, do you really think I'm trying to scam you? (laughs) I mean, it's it's like, what am I going to get out of this? The odds are I could lose money in this. Yeah. So it, but some of them some of them think this and it's like all right whatever so you reach out to people sometimes and do they do they just say you know no thanks not interested for reasons x y and z they just say nah i just 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 don't want to do it um yeah you know some uh some for the most most want to do it um some expect that you already have everything or already can so they don't want to be bothered they're just like you know call me when it's done oh. you know and it's like well guys <laughs> i need a little bit more more here right but even with all the headaches and the difficult people you deal with and the personal challenges you still keep doing it so clearly you've still got a love for the process i do kind of dig dig what i'm doing and uh i guess sometimes and and, and you know and uh I mean, there are, there are things in it in the past that, that have kind of upset me, you know, heartbreak in this. I mean, 
to some extent, you know, um, but whatever it is what it is i mean my wife told me one day she said you got to realize with most of these people you work this project don't think that they are your friends and i'm like oh okay <laughs> but you know i mean uh. well friends or clients or otherwise it seems to me you've got a really good thing going and it looks like it's working pretty well for you i do know like out of it what works best for us and what we work with the best it it's more more traditional straight up metal there's no prefixes there's no suffixes to right it, you know um however that doesn't mean i i don't like other things i mean it's it's really weird going back to the false prophet how false prophet has been one of the best things we've ever done it's done one it's done you know relatively the best of most of the stuff however for us to do death metal we need to find a specific band that will work because we don't really hit that that targeted audience so much mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah for sure i mean you know we did this goth rock band from minnesota i i love goth rock myself and i think they're great releases but I don't necessarily know how to target that audience and well it is shown <laughs> but, sure you know uh, but you know what the hell i mean it's it's um again it goes back to what i like and what i want to do and um if people like it they do if they don't they can move on <laughs> so that being said um, i mean the the trajectory that you're on with heaven and hell you know, uh, do you anticipate just kind of keeping that going? I mean, do you have ideas to to try to break new ground? I know you were like strictly kind of more CDs for a long time, and then you kind of you got into some vinyl stuff here relatively recently, and that seems to be going pretty well. You got new projects on the horizon. What's going on with the label right now? I, d I don't want to go much further into doing many more vinyl releases. I personally don't like vinyl. Yeah. Uh, and I also see the market for that. It's not looking good. Um, and then, and then you can see a lot too, you know, a lot of press outlets are talking about this renaissance of the CD, which is funny because it's the same damn outlets that were perpetrating the death of the CD, <laughs> but you know, it's just, but whatever. Um, the, um, so the funny money we did, the funny money is like it's Steve Whiteman from Kicks, like his other band he had through the 90s. Um, that, that might be the last one we do do for a while, at least the last thing I'm looking at. Um, and, and when we've done vinyl releases, it was only like specific things for certain reasons. Like, oh, gotcha. And when we did that white boy and that average rap band, I mean, their original album was selling for over a grand, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of why we, we threw that out. Unfortunately, there was a bootleg in there somewhere between the original pressing and our reissue. And we think that hurt us a little bit. As far as new projects, man, I got like at least 12 of them lined up now. I don't think they're all going to drop this year. They can't all possibly drop this year because we just can't move that fast. I did see a kind of a semi-cryptic post on the Heaven and Hell Facebook page 
about a band that you're hoping to announce soon. And it looked like I had some kind of album art out there on the site. Oh, with the hand? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um. Well, what the hell? I'll, I'll go ahead and put it out there. Um, Dropping a bomb, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any specific order of how I ever announce things or whatever. I'm too chaotic for that. Um, we're doing the, it's this band called Envid. Um, it's kind of like this technical thrash band. Uh, um, I would say there's a lot of Watchtower in it. Um, nice. But it was uh, members of, um, you know, this um, of, of Niall Icarus Witch from Pennsylvania. Um, the singer, I think the singer was later in a band called Order of Nine. And uh, it's really good, like early 90s tech metal or tech thrash, excuse me. Um, so that's that's happening. Um, and uh, the, the art is all done, you know. Um, and we're, we're trying to figure out right now how to do the layout because there was this album was supposed to somehow correlate with the comic book that chuck was making way back when in the 90s but he just never kind of finished it and uh so uh we're gonna see what we can get done with that at least show some of that artwork throughout the uh the booklet um let's see is there anything else on the horizon that i could kind of throw out right now um we're working on this kind of AOR band called Sable from Ohio. That's that's a thing there. Um, I did mention Demon X. You know, um, the band uh, Mad X we, we, we put out, what, was it earlier this year or last year? Um, well, they have some earlier material, and uh, we're about to get to that. That's actually in the works right now. Um, and... Uh, uh, there's a lot of other stuff. And did I see that you guys have a new uh, a new HQ, a new building under construction? Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, that place. Um, that's actually that's actually Gary's place. It's just heaven and hell's going to be in the back of it. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. And um, well, you know, this was my label you know for like eight years before gary came came on board and uh and gary's a guy that i had known him for years it was strange because he did a podcast a couple of years ago and his daughter listened to it and she says i didn't know you knew jeremy that long and he's like yeah i, I knew him before his daughters <laughs> yeah. were even born they're like adults now and through college and everything but I used to order CDs from him back in the nineties, you know, when he ran a store and had a mail order and so forth. So I've known him that long. Well, um, and then one day I called him up and I, I owed him some CDs. I'm like, you know, I owe you disc. And he's like, I know. And, uh, and at that point we start talking, he's asking me about the label and, uh, he had previously years earlier put out, uh, the second funny money on vinyl and he did it at a really bad time dude no one was buying records back then and and he told me he said if he ever did, got back into it and did another release he wanted to do this band Excalibur from Pittsburgh well it just show, so happened that I was looking for that band I wanted to do it too and 
So we kind of hooked up. He said, well, if you find it, I, I'll do this with you. And um, so I found, I found the guitar player. The guitar player was like a hermit down in South Carolina at this point. Um, I found him through his daughter. It, what was funny is when I contacted his daughter, his daughter's like, this cannot be serious. Why would anybody want to reissue anything my dad recorded in 85? <laughs> I'm like, well, I do. So, and when we, we finally got it rolling and announced it, dude, like all of our peers were sending me messages cursing my name. They were like, how the hell did you do this? And I'm like, well, I did. I got to win something every once in a while. <laughs> nice. And, um, but needless to say, so, so we did that project. We did another band called Assassin from, from here in the state. And at that, I just said, Gary, do you want to end this? And he's like, yeah. So from that point on, Gary has now been my partner in this. Nice. So, so I kind of split everything with him, like, 59 or 49 51 you know sure i'm gonna get that extra because i was in this eight years before you <laughs> you know right but you know so and 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 here's another thing that happens and a lot of people don't understand this but a lot of indie labels run mail orders because we kind of need to to survive sure i hate it um but when I started my label, I had a mail order too, and then I had to shut it down, and I honestly thought I was going to lose the label too, and that's actually when Gary came about. So, I mean, he he basically saved the label. Yeah, so he's a, he's partnering up with you now, and uh, you guys are making big things happen. I mean, yeah, I mean, things have definitely picked up since then, and uh, and. And, and, and oddly enough, or well, coincidentally, it happened for his business too. It picked up because what we saw is, after this is he, for one, he started learning and being introduced to a lot of labels and a lot of a section of the metal scene that he wasn't familiar with and aware of. And then a lot of people were coming out going, oh, my God, I remember that guy. I used to order discs from him in the 90s. And so now it's picked his business up and that's why he's building the warehouse because like his place is crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. And, and, and so that's essentially the home of heaven and hell. I just actually this past weekend took some more stock down to him. I think I got a couple more loads to take down there and, and then he gets to house it all and have fun with it. <laughs> and have fun with it otherwise known as store all the shit <laughs> yeah see see my goal here is my goal here is is to teach chris and gary how to do this and i'm just gonna sit back and just eat cereal and watch cartoons shit dude Maybe that's I'm, the fucking dream right there Oh yes, maybe and maybe strippers and cocaine will come about, <laughs> someday that I mean, will all be yours <laughs> yes nice but, I mean, I just, just, you know, keep finding the bands, I guess. I mean, I don't know how I, I stumble in, in, into them. I just, you know, you know, years of being a fan of music and just having passion for it and, you know, wanting, wanting to have 
just the exposure for those bands that are they're underappreciated. It just sounds like that you approach everything just from a very purely you are a fan of music and you just want to keep it going. Um, I, yeah, pretty much. And, um, you know, um, we, we did the, um, the white fear chain that, that came out not too long ago, I, dude, they self-released that album back in the nineties and I never saw it. I was never aware of it or what have you. And, um, you know, and, and white fear chain was, uh, this technical thrash band realm out of Wisconsin and the singer Budo from last crack. I love Last Crack. I did have since the 90s, but I had no idea that this album was a thing. I remember kind of reading that he started singing for Realm, you know, but, you know, I just read it in a snippet back in the Metal Maniacs. And one day I just happened to find that, oh, there's an album, <laughs> you know, and then I contact the band about reissuing this thing. And and so we did that. I made old new cover art for it because I thought their first cover was kind of terrible. And um, and then and then of course my cover art it got a it had a few people chatting about it, uh, but um, you know it is what it is. Well, even with that, when we when we did the cover art, you know the band were even kind of skeptical over it. They're like, "Dude, should we do that?" And I'm like yeah we should <laughs> and i'm like i'm like you know it's rock and roll man it should be controversial it should raise questions it should have people scratching their heads and they eventually came back and they're like you're right man and i'm like yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> nice and, and um so so that's that's kind of what it was but but then then again there have been there have been bands I've talked to who have turned me down because of cover art that we have. Just straight They're up like, said that as opposed to just, we don't like the cover art. Let's do a different one. Just say, never mind. I don't want to work with you. No, they do not want to be associated with the label that has such album artwork as we, what we do. Oh, in your releases. repertoire. They're still offended yes, by yes. it. Gotcha. And which is kind of goofy. I also had this one band um, once he, the singer said to me, he says, well, I've seen your other cover art and you have a lot of scantily clad women and skulls and stuff on it. And I'm like, dude, I know that's not right for you. So that's not going on your album cover. I mean, if you sound like Air Supply, I'm not putting the Eating Back to Life album cover on it. <laughs> it's funny. I was totally thinking Cannibal Corpse and I was thinking about offensive album covers. <laughs> I mean, exactly. You know, it's it's like... I kind of have an idea of what I'm doing. Now I have, I, I will admit I've kind of screwed up a couple of times. Um, you know, way back when we did this band ritual from Jersey and, and ritual kind of sounds like old Motley Crue killer dwarfs type stuff. And when I had the artwork done, the artwork is like all these like robed figures on the cover of it. And when you look in the inlay, you'll see that all those robed figures were all women because they're now unrobed, like, you know, wiggling all over each other or whatever. But, but I had, I had someone tell me, he says, you know, when I saw that album cover, I thought this band would sound like Merciful Fate or Candlemass. I'm like, hmm, I guess I did bad on that one. Yeah, oops. <laughs> Just a little misstep. 
It's kind of like when you see a ghost album cover and then you hear the band and you're like, that's not what I thought they were going to sound like. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess I could see that. And um, Oh, I like that band. I have recently become a converted fan um, after years of talking mad shit. And, uh, and now I have <laughs> seen, now it's true. I, I did. I talked quite a bit of shit about them back in the day and, and uh, I, I am now, I am now proud to call myself a fan. And so See, you, know you what win, right there? you win Tobias Forge. You have converted <laughs> me. You know what happened right there? I, I used to know like Exodus tour manager really well. And, and he'd invite me over to, to all their shows when they were on the East coast. And he knew I had this mail order. So he's like, okay, I want this stack of CDs, bring them with you, come set up at the show. You know, so we would. One day I'm out at the bus and I give him a, a, the discs he wanted. And it, dude, it's all of these like obscure hair bands, you know, like Juliet or whatever. And and I and I said, um, I said, what's the band's gonna is the band gonna think about this, man? I mean, aren't they still all about killing posers and stuff? And he says, no, dude. He says, when we drive around, he's like, all we're listening to is like Bon Jovi and bands like this. Nice. I'm like, that's funny. And but but the ghost thing, man, I mean, it's it's so crazy because you know, I would see all these people dogging on ghosts. And it's usually all these people that wear these patched out vests, you know, of you know the one band that only them and one other guy listens to sure and and they're like ghosts suck ghosts this and that well the the thing is now and and there's no way to test my theory but but i do believe that if ghosts were a band who just put out one shitty ep cassette with a terrible album cover and nothing ever more all those same fuckers would love that band (laughs) But but since they are who they are and they made it to where they've made it, they all have to like somehow dislike that band. Sure. You have to shit on the success, and, right? Yeah. And I saw I remember when Ghosts were on tour with Maiden, I saw all these people on Facebook, you know, and older people at that totally dissing this band or saying, I'm going to piss, I'm going to get my beer, whatever, during their set, fuck ghosts. And I'm like, really? You know, I wonder. I wonder how many people said the same thing when when bands like Priest were opening up for Ario Speedwagon. You know, I'm just like, really, I don't know. It's, I mean, I I thought it was good stuff, and and then when you think like it's like Ghost, it's like here's a band that sounds like Demon. People like you know these these traditional metal guys. They love Demon, and they like their BOC. It's like, what, yeah. what, what? What's the difference? They just mix a little ABBA in. Yeah, Ghost is just one of those bands that I think people have a hard time defining, you know, because they have the imagery, and then maybe the sound surprises you when you hear it, you know, with Tobias's voice. Well, I'm sorry, or Papa's voice, whatever you want to call him. Um, and and you know, they definitely have this stadium rock kind of vibe but then sometimes it's metal but then sometimes it's pop and sometimes it's really fucking evil and then sometimes it sounds kind of happy and people just don't know like you can't classify it you don't know what it is and so it's just really easy to say oh it's just too weak for me or it's too poppy for me and then you you realize you know that that 
that's kind of the band's intention is to defy classification. They want to be their own thing, have their own stories, have their own vibe to it. Nobody else is really like them. So yeah, they encapsulate a lot of these sounds and a lot of these vibes and you just are caught off guard by what you perceive them to be before you hear them. Um, it took me a long time to kind of accept the fact that they, they have some super legit chops and, uh, you know, they, God damn it. If they don't have some catchy fucking songs, man. So, so yeah, they, uh, they won me over after, after many moons, I, I will freely admit that. And uh, now I, now I am a fan. <laughs> I'm right there, man. I mean, if it's catchy and it's hooky, it's good. I mean, at the end of the the day, it's all tunes, man. If it's good, it's good. Yeah, and I always say, as a musician, you know, a, a very unsuccessful one, um, the really what makes a good song, whether or not you like it, whether or not it's in your you know genre of choice, how many times you've been driving down the road and you got a song stuck in your head and you hate that fucking song, but God damn it. If you don't know every freaking word in that song, guess what? That's a, (laughs) it's a good song, right? That's what makes it because it's in your head and you remember it. It doesn't matter if you like it, but if you remember it, that, that artist has mission fucking accomplished, man. That's what every artist sets out to do is put something in your head that stays there. And uh, yeah. I I imagine the guy, the guy that works in the indie record store, you know, every one of us is walking to an indie record store and we see that guy sitting behind the counter, you know, that guy that looks like he plays in a dinosaur junior tribute band <laughs> and, and like, and he's listening to the most incomprehensible noise ever because he thinks he's cool because you don't know what that noise is he, yeah. that he's listening to, but you know, that once he gets in his car, he and he hears you give love a bad name. Come on his radio. He's turning that shit he's up. Cranking that fucker and he's singing up, right? along until he comes to the stoplight because he doesn't want anyone to see him doing it. But now, now when it's ironic to like Bon Jovi and to wear a Bon Jovi t-shirt for that dinosaur junior looking fucker, well, now <laughs> he can like it and he's thinking to himself, yes, finally. I can come out. Validation. <laughs> yes, right. Oh, I, good time. I mean, it's just—it's so goofy watching like all these 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 various things with people. I, I I see this with like, I see this with like you know, metal audiences or, or audiences, metal bands who who their their theory is it's like we love Manila Road. Manila Road's a cult band. They're cult heroes. So we want to be a cult band too. So our theory is we will put out a cassette EP with a shitty album cover on it. We will wear vertical stripe spandex and play our flying Vs and so forth, you know, and and we'll try to be a cult band from this because this will give us street cred. We have that cassette now or what, what the hell ever. What these bands don't realize in this whole kind of scheme here is all these bands that they're worshiping that are, that are cult bands now, these bands never set out to be fucking cult bands. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Manila Rowe wanted to be, had aspirations and dreams of being Led Zeppelin. They would settle for being Saxon, but it never happened. And, and, you know, but 
but I find it interesting with the ones who who try really hard to achieve this. It's like no one makes you – you don't make yourself a cult band. I'm, I'm sorry, Ingve. You can write on the back of your T-shirt that you're a legend, but no one – you can't make yourself a legend. The, <laughs> the audience decides if you are. Now, granted, he is, I guess, but – you know, you get my point. You have to be careful, Jeremy, what you say about Ingve, because if you piss him off, you will unleash the fucking fury of the Yngwie. Fury. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, what a fucking tool. I'm sorry. I fucking hate Ingve. I'm sorry. Everybody out there, it's on the record now. I am not a fan of Ingve. I don't know. Is his music good? Sure. That guy's a fucking douche and a half, though. So, but, uh, but I digress. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going down the the Inkvay road. I've got so many funny things. Uh, um, Yeah, well, you know, that is, uh, there's many more stories I I think that you and I could tell. Um, I think we we have covered a a shitload of of awesome music philosophy and your thoughts on things and and kind of all of the experiences that, that you've had. And of course, uh, your your label that has an amazing roster of very diverse, talented acts, some old, some new. Um, so we're going to wind this down here, but I wanted to ask you one final question then, which is as somebody who sees and hears a lot of material, who gets submissions on a regular basis, you know, if you got a band out there that's really serious about wanting to get their shit heard and they want to submit something to a label and be taken seriously, because I know you've gotten a bunch of just piles of shit that people put no effort into. What are you going to tell these guys if you want to get your shit listened to for more than 30 seconds? How, what, how, how should they submit their material to be taken seriously? Oh, Jesus, that's that's a difficult question because I honestly don't pay attention to most of the stuff submitted to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, I know what not to do. <laughs> I don't know so much what to do opposed to what not to do. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't send me like a Facebook post going, y'all need to hear this shit. Right, and which is what I get half the time. To- yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 totally gonna ignore that, um, and I get that a lot. You know, um, it's it's far as submissions that I get. Um, you know, every once in a while, I have a guy like hit me up to say he had this old band, and that I might pay attention to. I get a lot of black metal bands and Portuguese death metal bands that hit me up sorry that's just not my thing um if i gave suggestions or advice to bands i would say pay attention to where you're going and you're throwing this stuff out to because well for instance if the portuguese black metal band sends me like something you know and you know and they all do it the same oh heaven and hell looks like the perfect home for us or whatever it's bullshit. It doesn't look like that to you. Why? Because you didn't even look into it. Because if you look into it, you will see that this is probably not the place for you. So know your market, you know? I mean, that's it. So that automatically tells me that you took, you're just throwing it out there, you know, that you're not looking into 
where you need to be, where you need to, you belong, that you're not taking enough time, you know, and, and, and hell, if you, if you don't care about you, I'm certainly not going to. And uh, so, so that's, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that, that I do see bands do that it's just, it just doesn't interest me because automatically I, I see how much effort you're putting into it. And um, now, on the other hand, you would think, well, they would toss this out to anyone and see whoever it, you know, cast a wide net. But for that matter, well, why aren't you like approaching like the easy listening record label? I, am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I can't stand when bands like send me the, the y'all need to hear this shit link. I mean, that's an actual direct quote of a band. <laughs> sometimes if i'm feeling frisky i like to fuck with those guys and i'll be mean to them other time i won't pay any attention i've actually had hip-hop guys you know for whatever reason <laughs> that the hip-hop guy would think that they belong here on on a rock slash heavy metal label who knows whatever maybe they have some crossover songs here and there who knows i mean sure or maybe one day I'll run across a KRS one or something. I don't know. Sure. But, but like some of these, I've had submissions from things like that. And those dudes I'm, I'm pretty straight up or cool with. I'm like, no, man, I just, I really don't think it'll work or what have you. But it is the metal acts, like the death metal or black metal band from wherever that, like that. I'm just like, did you put no effort into this? And they send me the same, like, the same letter that goes out to everyone they just changed and put my name in it and it's just like really what gave you the idea that that you would work here i mean and just i don't know i guess i'm being too harsh on them but well so you know the idea is put some thought into it you know examine you know is this the right home for you do you fit in with the overall concept do you have a well thought out presentation that you're sending something to somebody without making them have to go to effort to listen to your stuff. I, mean, I agree. I mean, there, there have been several uh, cases where I have replied to guys and say, you should actually look into this one. It might be a better home for you, you know, and what have you. So, uh, <laughs> so that being said, then, you know, if somebody wants to check out your amazing roster of acts or what heaven to hell is all about, what are the best ways to find you out on the webs, your website, social media, all that stuff? Well, of course there's a heaven and hell records.com and there's a heaven and hell records band camp. And the Heaven and Hell Records YouTube page, and then of course there's the Heaven and Hell Records Facebook, and um, and as far as everything else, I think I'm too old to be able to use that. <laughs> so probably not a Heaven and Hell TikTok as of yet, and uh, probably not a Tumblr page, and probably not a Jeremy Golden OnlyFans site set up as of yet. Oh, but there's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw up on my mouth a little bit, but that's okay. You know, it's cool. That's my retirement plan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's all out there. I mean, some of it gets a little bit out of date or, or what have you. Cause sure. I, I can't stay on top of this 24 seven. I mean, it's, it's really difficult to 
run this type of show by yourself you know i mean granted i've been talking about all the guys i work with but understand i'm the one that takes care of all the online stuff and talking to the bands and writing stuff i mean i have i have liner notes i have to go up and finish now yeah that have been oh i've been struggling with for months actually my wife says you've never had this much of a problem on a project before what is the block on this one i don't know but this one's blocking me (laughs) yeah well uh that's awesome get get to work go write those liner notes and uh <laughs> no dude i i appreciate you uh taking so much time to talk with me it's, it's not often i get to have such an open conversation as, as you and i have had this has been an, an absolute blast and we'll we'll definitely have to uh, to do this again in the future i i uh, i'm looking forward to seeing all the cool stuff that you have coming out as well and i thank you for for you know doing what others don't do and which is celebrate the classic stuff and and breathe new life into some of the stuff that really deserves a second chance at life i I just think it's amazing and truly appreciate what you do there oh well i i appreciate it thank you i haven't done this for a while thanks for uh plugging of dying dreams in there i would have had to have gotten around to them somehow and um (laughs) yeah all right, so there you okay. have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jeremy Golden, Heaven and Hell Records, Misery Point Radio, KFMP out. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. And thanks, as always, to all of you out there in Radio Land for grabbing your ankles and taking this audio suppository like a champ. You are the true warriors here. So there you have it. Everything you always wanted to know about Heaven and Hell Records but were afraid to ask. Man, there was so much cool stuff in there, wasn't there? and still so much more that we didn't even get to. So we'll have to have Jeremy back on sometime for another round for sure. Now, as promised, we're going to close this out with a song from one of my new favorite bands with an extra special thanks to Paul Ray from False Prophet for telling me about these guys. So off the brand new Heaven and Hell reissue of their 1996 demo, Drain the Light, here's Of Dying Dreams with Final Resting Place. Later, Minions.
Ah! 